Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to the show. Mike Max, 7-9 tonight. Twins lost today in 10 innings. Tonight we'll focus a lot on what has changed or not changed in the last two years since George Floyd lost his life and a whole bunch of different things changed immediately in Minneapolis. I also invite you to text in anytime at 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226 with the very answer to that question. What's changed? in the last two years in Minneapolis or in the Twin Cities, because I think a lot has. 651-461-9226. Certainly, my life changed after that week, and so too did our first guest. Um, Neither one of us could have predicted what happened that week, and by the end of the week, how our lives would change at least forever for the last two years. P.J. Hill joins me on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Of course, he's been very active in the community, grew up in the community, great basketball players, Sisters are great basketball sisters, great basketball players. Uh, but tonight we talk about the last two years and what he's seen in his community. PJ, thank you for joining us. Mike, thank you for having me, my man. How are you, sir? You know, I'm doing well, and I, I, I'm sure you too today. You know, it, it, there are certain times. You know, I, I don't want to say you ever, but uh, uh, it's not on your mind. But it goes back burner for a while, and then and then you get a date like this, which is you know the two years since. George Floyd lost his life, and there's some reflection, and I know people are asking you questions and, um, uh, you, you know, taking you back to that day. Uh, let me start there, PJ. That day, I remember, I was I was traveling, coming back, and I remember hearing about this incident, and I thought, that doesn't sound good, but I didn't know many of the details. How, how did it evolve for you? Uh, for me, great question. So my great-uncle owns a church on 38th of Chicago. He's been there for 41 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so long-standing member. My mom and my great uncle were actually out there at church when it happened. Now, unbeknownst to them, they didn't know it was George Floyd. The next day I seen it on uh, social media. And then at the time I was living one block from there and I just walked up there and it was, the feeling was unreal out there. It was a lot of animosity and a lot of people were upset, array of feelings, sad, hurt, angry. And, you know, that that's when I decided to, how do I get involved in this social justice movement 
and start really making a difference in the community. Because I've always been doing sports, but not on the social justice front. Sure. But that day changed my life as well. So, so did you start then, was that the manifestation of the beginning of when you decided the uh, march through Minneapolis? It started with athletes and it became thousands and thousands? That's exactly right then. The first call I made to was our current U.S. attorney, Andy Luger. And I said, Andy, I want to make a difference. I want to be able to change these systems that have plagued so many and really rebuild trust and legitimacy between the community and politicians, between the community and law enforcement. How do I make a difference? And that was the start of it. And so you got people together, and, and, and you know, Royce White and Rich Melzer, lots of guys participating. Jim Peterson, Daryl Thompson. I mean, I mean, the list was long. And, and, I, and I remember I was tipped off to it that you guys were going to start at U.S. Bank Stadium and walk across Minneapolis. And, and um, they said, come on out. Well, I'm thinking a couple hundred people, right? I'm thinking, you know, mainly athletes and some people that they invited. I didn't – had no idea that on that uh, Friday you'd have thousands of people walking through Minneapolis. What happened? How did, how did it grow so quickly? I think uh, we all yearned to a way to express ourselves in a positive manner that wasn't uh, looting the city. And that's what we, our, our mission was. How do we express our First Amendment rights and really be heard? But the thing about technology is the great equalizer. So when people got wind of us doing it, it just spread like wildfire. And so many young people are the change agents and want to be a part of change. And that's that's how it got going. You know, there's a lot of people out there really uh, saying enough is enough. How can we make a difference? And we stood in solidarity together. P.J. Hill is our guest. You walked over to the Hennepin Bridge and, and you stopped there uh, and everybody sat down for a bit. And it was a surreal moment. And it was an incredibly peaceful moment. Uh, as I recall, and and it was you know, it, it was the opposite of a mob mentality. It, it was people walking uh, quietly, sometimes somber, sometimes, uh, and just making a point. How did it feel to you? Did, did it surpass anything that you expected at that point? Of course. I mean, when you look up and you're taking a knee on the bridge, and you see, you know, a sea of people. As far as you can see, as blocks. I mean, that first march was over seven thousand people. And then being able to speak, you know, they asked me to speak and I spoke from my heart, didn't really know what to say at a loss of words. But, you know, I can just feel the energy of people, you know, standing there with me and really trying to make a difference and hanging on to every word. I mean, it was something I never could imagine would have happened. It was that they had burned down the third precinct the night before, and then that Friday you had the peaceful protest, and then Friday night uh, they shut down 35W by Bobby and Steve's and then went over to Lake Street, and that's when Lake Street basically caught fire. That that was after your peaceful protest. What do you remember about that part of it? Did you go home that night and say, what's going on now kind of thing? What was it? Well, this is what I remember. We had left the protest. Um, a lot of people were leaving, and we, we encouraged everybody to go home. You know, this was our, our stance. We made our statement, and we wanted people to go home. But, you know, uh, uh, there is people coming from outside our states who are agitators. There were people in, the, in our state who were just not uh, willing to do just with protesting. They wanted to do more. Yep. And then, unfortunately, you see, you know, our, our city get looted and burned. But that's, I think, a reflection of the lack of ownership um, that so many minorities 
don't have in a community. People don't tear their own stuff up, but they tear stuff up that they don't feel is theirs. And you can see the disparities just by the destruction. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's easy to do something if it's not if you, if you don't own it. Of course, the Target got looted and everything else. Now we're heading towards a weekend, as you know, PJ. We don't know what's next, really. And in that Saturday night, there was uh, an eight o'clock curfew, and at eight o'clock, uh, the, the law enforcement met the protesters. Uh, some of them uh, kneeling down, some of them uh, walked away over by the Kmart area in, in, in Lake Street, an area that you know well. Uh, and, and then tear gas and, and rubber bullets started to fly, and all those things. And um, we, I thought Saturday night, PJ, and you can expand on this, was more a night uh, not just about what you saw, but what you didn't see, because a lot of the people, the small business owners. Uh, from north and south Minneapolis had gathered to defend themselves because they weren't sure if law enforcement could, and they decided uh, that they would stand guard on their own property, on their own businesses that they had built through their own American dream. And, and you and I both know, because I remember the fear that I had that night, that if the wrong protesters break into the wrong building where the, where, where the owners and their allies or colleagues are sitting there fully armed and ready to take them on, we could have a bloodbath here, and I and I know you know exactly of what I speak, but that was a scary time for those of us that knew what was really going on, wasn't it? Oh, uh, of course. I mean, even me and my community, I had to band together with my neighbors and watch our house every night. And mm-hmm. we made a pact that, you know, we're going to have water buckets ready and we're going to protect our neighborhood. And so I totally understand where people come like that. But when you have ownership of something, you have a sense of pride. That's what that brings. And you're not going to back down. And if the police are not going to come, then we have to band together, together as a, a community, a neighborhood. And that's what so many people did. Oh, it, it, it was, I mean, I, I can remember on Lake Street at 2 in the morning, and there was a neighborhood that they were doing just what you said, and I didn't realize it until we got done. There were about 10 people there. And I think there were three white people uh, two Asian Americans, uh, three Native Americans, and, and, and uh, two or three African Americans. And it was like they didn't even realize it, but they, they, they were neighbors and they were bonded and, and race didn't matter. Uh, they were going to defend their neighborhood and try to help out and keep peace as best they could. So my point being, there were a number of wonderful things that I saw optically that came out of that. Oh, of course. I mean, even if you think about the, the, the peaceful protest that we did, when you look out there, Mike, and you was there, Mm-hmm. Most of the people out there are not black. Nope. A lot of white folks out there support and standing in solidarity. Asian Americans, Native Americans. You have so many. Our Somali, East African brothers and sisters. It was so diverse because it was bigger than a race. Because what we witnessed was a slow, torturous, nine-minute murder of a man. And it didn't matter if you were black or white, rich or poor, man or woman. We all broke inside and we said enough is enough. doesn't matter your color. PJ, can you stand with us for a quick break? Yes. Because when we come back, I want to ask you how your life has changed in the last couple of years since that date. PJ Hill is our guest two years later looking back at the murder of George Floyd. Stay with us. Welcome back. Remembering George Floyd's the week that was two years later. PJ Hill, my guest, he was in the middle of it. PJ, this Sunday afternoon it looked like things were quieting down and then along came a semi-truck that at the time we thought might be on a murder mission uh later we'd find out it was an, uh, a, a terrible mistake but at the time 35w and i look at the video now and i'm sure you do and i still can't look at it because i'm sure that somebody's going to get killed when i see that video 
and uh, everything changed again on Sunday afternoon. What do you remember about that? Because I remember visiting with you outside of U.S. Bank Stadium. Yeah, man, that day was um, really surreal. Wasn't it? Surreal. Oh. It was unbelievable. I mean, you know, I was on the side with the semi, and all I remember is hearing just honk, honk, and I turned around, and I just started thinking, oh, my God, people are going to die. Yep. And I just start pushing as many people as I can to the median, like, so they can get out the way. And really chasing the truck, you know, and trying to, you know, ca- capture the guy. And then it was, a, you know, me along with a couple other people, they, uh, they they pulled him out. And we were saying, like, no, like, we're not going to allow you to hurt him. We're not going to allow you to throw him over the edge. Um, this is not our mission. We're bigger than that. You know, and, and then you know, it, it, it came to a head again later that day at Bobby and Steve's when, when, when you know, the protesters succumbed and, and, and were arrested and we waited, waited a long time and, and I was there for much of it. And it was um, at the end of it, there were I've told this story before, but there was an officer standing next to a man, a man that he'd arrested and, and they were waiting to be booked in and they were laughing and, and uh, visiting with each other. And I found that peculiar and I went over there. And what I found out, PJ, which you also know, is this really wasn't about the protesters and the law enforcement. It was about people that were expressing their opinions and people that were enforcing the law. But as you got closer to them, you realized how close they were and, and that they both wanted the same things out of life. Oh, no, for sure. I mean, what happened was, you know, the protests at times may have got a bad rap because you can't distinguish what's protest exactly. uh, during the day, a peaceful one. Then that transitions into, you know, a more uh, rowdy protesting and then looting at night. And, you know, that's what I'm trying to tell people. You were there, Max. Yep. You know, we got all of those people off the freeway um, in cooperation with the law enforcement. And then we all walked to U.S. Bank Stadium. That yep. was my goal is how do I get everybody home safe? And you heard me tell everybody, now it's time to go home go and home. obey the law. Yes. Yeah, and many did, by the way. Yeah. Many yeah. did. And and it was a beautiful Sunday afternoon. PJ, um, your life has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Not that you weren't always a figure yeah. in Minneapolis, but explain what the last two years have been like. Man, it's been uh, one heck of a roller coaster. I have found myself in a position uh, as a true servant leader and with the opportunity to be at tables representing so many people who don't have a voice. You've gotten a seat at some tables, haven't you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm just honored by God. It's nothing at me. It's just my uh, gift for people. And in this social climate, a people with my, a person with my skill set to be a bridge between community and the business world, between community and our elected officials. That is just my gift, Maxie. And that has brought me, um, you know, to some interesting tables. What I have done for even corporations, like a good friend of mine is Doug Baker, mm-hmm. is I've been a bridge between them and the community. But I've allowed them as uh, corporate America, the business community, people who are not really in the community, to come across the bridge in a safe manner and to really take a perspective and see what we go through on a day-to-day. And you know this as well as I do. The world moves amongst friends. So if you can really explain and if I can articulate to them 
then they know it's really happening because I'm somebody that they trust. When um, you get up every day and you think about what has been and you say what will be, what will be, what will the next two years look like? I'm very hopeful in the fact that a lot of people have now looked within to say, how can we make the change ourselves? What do we do or what are we not doing that is adding to this oppressive system or not, you know, tearing it down? So, so many people have done great things. I mean, I think about partnerships that were birthed out of the unfortunate events that happened to George Floyd, like the partnership between Safe Streets, Lawrence McKenzie, uh, Coach McKenzie, Al Flowers, the Unity Community, and the YMCA with the CEO, Glenn Gunderson, and them, him being a fiscal agent for so many community organizations and help move their work. Those are things that are truly make me hopeful that we can actually change the tide and change the culture and change the economic landscape for so many in the city of Minneapolis. Do you think it's happening? Is it happening at the speed you would like? It's happening. Now, the speed I would like is a whole nother question. Hmm. And here's the problem with, with a lot of the systems that's in place. You know, the city has the right heart. I chaired the economic development, economic recovery. Um, the mayor appointed me to. We gave the recommendations. And now they have to go through the legal process. But sometimes all of that bureaucracy, you know, people need funds. They need the resources now. But unfortunately, due process and all of this stuff holds that up. And so we're trying to eliminate a lot of those barriers that are keeping people from really getting the access and the resources that they need. And then the one thing that has not changed as fast as none of us want is the trust between the community and law enforcement. That has not changed. That has not changed. You could stand here today and say that has not changed, huh? No, it hasn't changed as fast as we would like. And it took a crushing blow when Chief Arredondo left because you know this, he was the common theme and we all admired him. And he leveraged his credibility to really change the culture. And people believe that. Hmm. Do you ever have to worry, PJ? Do people say to you, well, PJ, you got yours, but now when do I get mine? D- does that happen? Um, let me tell you, that's something that I ask myself all the time. I was given uh, an A-standard deviation gift in basketball, and I was able to use that to travel the world, to have exposure to so many things, get a great education. And now my goal is how do I look when I look for five years and I think about where my life is and how I can help so many other people prosper in this way. That's one thing that I hold really dear to my heart. I want to make sure that I don't leave people behind that really make a difference in my community. You know, my ultimate goal, Maxie, is to make 1,000 BIPOC people millionaires. Mm-hmm. That is my goal. Help them build wealth and liberate them economically. Wow. PJ, I appreciate it very much. Perfect leadoff man for what we're doing tonight. Coach McKenzie is going to join us in the next segment. Someone is near and dear to you. Oh, he's uh, awesome. Yeah, but thank you for what you've done. And, uh, you know, there are things that came out of that that I'm forever bonded to people that I already knew, and, and, and you are one of them. And that's why I so enjoy running India because we have so many things now that we have in common to talk about, and I appreciate it. Yes, sir. I'm grateful. Have a great evening. Thank you. You too. Thank you, PJ. PJ Hill. Nice enough to join us and give us some perspective. So too will Larry McKenzie when we come back. Two years later, remembering George Floyd. Stay with us. How do you think things have changed in uh, 
Minnesota and the Twin Cities in the last two years, give us a text, 651-461-9226. 651-461-9226. What's the most prominent change that you've seen? Joining us on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, when I thought about this show and how we were going to remember two years later, uh, there were some immediate names that came to mind, and they'll all be on with me tonight. You heard P.J. Hill. Uh, Charlie Adams will join us. Uh, he runs the 4th Precinct in North Minneapolis. And Larry McKenzie, a focal point over there for many, many, many years. Uh, he doesn't just coach it on the north side. He lives it on a daily basis. Uh, and he joins us now. And and Larry, I'll, I'll get to the George Floyd um, uh, and what's changed in, in, in a couple of minutes. But this is also Mental Health Awareness Month. And um, it's it's a tough, tough week for you. Um, someone Absolutely. that you mentored, uh, a coach that had had success and, and, and it had a few uh, issues over the last year, uh, is no longer with us today uh, as of Monday. And and that was someone that you got him into coaching. Um, expand. You can tell the story better than I can, Larry, because I know you're feeling a heavy heart. Yeah, Matt, uh, Mike, it's been a... Um it's been a real struggle, to be honest with you, since Monday. Um, as you well know, we lost uh, Coach McAllister uh, on Monday. And, um, you know, goes back a, a, a long, long ways. I mean, 20-plus uh, years, uh, Coach Matt reached out to me when he was a freshman at the University of Wisconsin River Falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, sent me a very touching letter, you know, saying that he had followed my – career and uh you know asked if i'd be one he wanted he had a desire to get into coaching asked if i'd be willing to mentor him and um i I sat on that letter for almost a year and then we ran into each other at a game um in the summertime at Benil st margaret and he was like introduced himself I'm the young man that sent you that letter. Oh, okay. You know, I, I've been meaning to get back to you kind of thing. Um, got the spent, got a chance to start spending a little bit of time with him. Uh, came on my staff in, uh, 2000 at Patrick Henry, uh, was with me for a number of years when I left Henry and, um, went to the, uh, ABA and then got back in high school basketball at Holy Angels. He was my associate head coach, spent uh, time with me there. Uh, so he was with me for about 11 years, and, you know, of course, he left then, uh, had an opportunity to become a head coach and took the job at Breck, uh, where he did a good job of t- turning that program around, left Breck to go uh St. Croix Lutheran, spent some time there, St. Croix Prep, uh, spent some time there, then on to, to B.C., where, you know, actually – student meet teacher in a, a section final. And, you know, we were number one team in the state. Coach Matt upset me uh, in that game and took Brooklyn Center to a uh, state tournament, something hadn't been, that had not been done in a while. And then, of course, left BC to go on to uh, South St. Paul. And he has done a tremendous job, had done a tremendous job with that program, turning it around, undefeated season. And, then, of course, uh, you know, trouble came over the horizon. And so, you know, I really I, – I talked to him about a week ago. And uh, we we had been having some regular discussions about, you know, getting through the process and what was ahead. And I honestly have to tell you, Mike, I, I didn't see this coming at all. 
There, you, you couldn't hear it in his voice, huh? I mean, the things that you looked for, you didn't see, huh? Uh, Mike, he said all of the right things. Mm. And so, um, I, I mean, and we just talked about, you know, like you got a lot of people that love you, that support you, you no matter what it is, you know, we're going to get, we're going to be there. We're going to get through this. And I, I'll tell you, I mean, all the right stuff. We, you know, we talked about scripture and faith and all the right things. I, I just didn't see this coming at all. You know, but that's what scares me, Larry. When we talk about mental health awareness, uh, uh, someone can take their own life, and then you hear later that people didn't see the signs. And and I don't know what the signs are sometimes because you hear this a lot, and and it's really hard uh, to hear just what you said there because you're going, well, you know, it, it looked like he was looking at your sentence and, and a minimum security, and he said, "That's tough stuff, but we got to get through this, and you can get through this." And and then the next thing you hear, and it just it just blows you away. Blows it, it just blows you away because I honestly thought that you know Friday May twentieth uh, I thought he was in a good place I I really did and had the utmost confidence that you know Wednesday whatever happened you know that he was prepared to get through it and and you're right I mean and that's part of my challenge now I mean you just don't know you know you you don't know you don't know um, so. Uh, I know, you know, a couple, couple folks that even talked to him on Monday, uh, talked to him that day early in the morning, said no signs. There was nothing there that, that you know, that were giving any, any indication that that was even a thought, you mm-hmm. know. So, yeah, this is, this, I mean, Coach Matt was really like a son to me. I mean, Oh, he, he had such reverence for you, Larry. When I talked to him, he, he, it would always go to Larry McKenzie and, and explaining what you did for him and, and, and the story that you told about the letter that he wrote, all those things. Uh, he, he like followed your playbook and, and, and watched you once, even when he had success, he kept watching you. I mean, I mean, you, you were a father figure to him, uh, you know, throughout his career. He, he talked about that. And, you know, we would, we would meet, uh, and have lunch, and he would always talk about that. And, and when you talk about, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, I, I tell Matt was a sponge, and he, every single thing that, that he saw me do, uh, I mean, he, he duplicated it. I mean, everything. You know, I mean, Matt did not miss a beat. And it worked uh, at Brooklyn Center and South St. Paul, basketball-wise. Yeah, and, and it's crazy, right? Because yeah. I mean, when you look at like like my career, you know, going to to Henry, I mean, they they were not a top program. No, and then you know what we did at Holy Angels, and yep. then what we came back to do at North. I, I mean, he had it down. I mean, we both were able to go to resurrect, you know, programs who had, you know, lost a little bit of shine and that kind of stuff. And, and like I say, I mean. I, again, I mean, I, I would sit down and we'd have lunch or we or dinner or just be talking to each other. And it was, you know, you just smile. I mean, because he got it, you know, and, and I don't care what anybody say. I mean, when it came to, to loving kids and being authentic and even as you talk about George Floyd and race relations and that kind of stuff. I mean, Matt was way ahead of his time, mm. cared about kids, regardless of of color. Matt was Matt cared about people. 
You know, Larry, you've dealt with a lot in the city uh, in the number of years that you've coached, and certainly recently, but I got a call uh, yesterday, and they said, you know, uh, Alonzo Dodd is, is struggling. Alonzo Dodd's a great point guard for South St. Paul, as you know, that played for him and and, and um, is going to go play Division One. got a scholarship down in Texas, and he said that you know he lost Dion Ford, uh, if the name's familiar, that's a young man from St. Paul Central that was uh, uh, killed in a— uh, transaction gone awry or whatever it was a couple of months ago and they were very good friends apparently Dion was a very good athlete who you probably are aware of that yep, at St. Paul yep, Central yep, and he said now he lost his coach the guy that you know yep. believed in him and, and it, it taken him up another level you you deal with kids a lot and and this guy is still the, the coach to many and as I mentioned in the case of uh, uh, Alonzo Dodd he, he lost a good friend as well what do you do when you counsel the kids right now the kids that are going through something that they don't understand well, you, you you know, I mean, and, and it's crazy that you ask that question. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, I, I've reached out to a couple of friends of mine as well that work in the mental health field to ask that question. Like, what do you do? You know what I'm saying? I mean, yeah. and it's and it's almost, you know, like, you know, it's almost like what we're going through in regards to what happened in Texas yeah. yesterday, yeah. right? Yeah. At, at some point, our prayers and our condolences just don't do enough. Nope. You know what I'm saying? And and especially, you know, in, in, in Dodd's case where, you know, I mean, so many African-American boys, right, deal with this thing called abandonment, right? They get mm-hmm. close to people. They let their windows all the way down. They trust them. And yep. then all of a sudden they're, they're gone. Yep. There's right? rejection or some form of it, right? Yeah. Or at least yeah, that's the way they so, perceive it. Or at least that's the way that they perceive it, correct. You know, and so, you know, I, I mean, you just try to, you know, I, I did reach out to Coach Edwards yesterday and at, at, at South St. Paul and asked him, you know, it, it, was there anything I could do to help, you know, in, in, in that regard? Um, it's been a struggle for me the last 48 hours. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really been a struggle. When did you get the news? How did you get the news, Larry? Well, I got the news about four thirty. Uh, his wife called. Yeah. Um, broken up, and yep. you know um, that you know this, and 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 this coach, you know, Matt committed suicide. Yep. So about four thirty on Monday, and then uh, Ross Foreman. Uh, one of our former players who was very close to Coach Matt at well, at, at well, who had been on his staff and um, called just immediately afterwards and said the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and so. Oh, you, know. you know, Larry, the, the last two years you've seen a lot too, and you've tried to keep that north side together as best you can in, 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 in your own way. And, um, I mean, it's a lot. When you start talking about Deshaun Hill and everything else, it's a lot. It's a lot for everybody, Larry. It's it's it really is, Mike. It it it, it it's a lot. It, it it you know, and and I just said to a friend of mine earlier today. I mean, I don't even know how. I mean, honestly, like with all of this trauma and what have you, like how I'm even expected to to really function. You know, it's it's hard. And it's you're the hard. leader, you know? I mean, you know what I'm saying? That's, they're looking to you, right? And, and and that's the thing about it is, right, you know, oftentimes, 
the the person that's calling and asking how everybody else is doing. You know, uh, very few people reach out. But I've been blessed. You know, a lot of people know the relationship between myself and Coach Matt, and people have just reached out to like, hey, you know, if you need somebody to talk to, you know, we know what you're going through. My 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 job has been very good. You know, Coach, take what time you need right right now to to try to get through this and process this. And so it, it's hard. I mean, it, 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 it's hard, Mike. You know, and I, and one of the things that that as a believer, you know, I I I, I just purely really trust God, but I don't always understand it, right? Yeah. So when yep. you lose good people. When you lose good people like Coach Matt, uh, especially under the circumstances, you know you 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 constantly asking yourself why. And then the the other part about being a strong thing about the the other struggle um, with a person like myself is you always ask like I talked to him on Friday. What could I have said? What could I have oh, done? Yeah. You yeah. know. Uh, in, in, in that conversation, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that would have helped ease whatever he was going through. Yeah. And I, I, I just hope you don't hold yourself too accountable for those things. Cause I don't know that any of us are. Yeah. yeah I mean, right. And, and, enough. And, and the reality of it is, I mean, you know, again, I mean, I've had a number of people like, come on coach. Like, yeah, that, I mean, you did. You That's know. right. And he didn't want to let you down. He wasn't going to let you know, you know what I mean? You're his Absolutely. guy. He didn't want you to think that he was going to struggle through this, you know. And and that's that, that was a big part of the conversation. I mean, you know that. I mean, and I remember before the news article hit in January, he called coach. I, I needed to share something with you. I, I want you to know. I don't want you to read about it. I don't want you to see it on social media. And he told me, you know, what the situation was and all of those kind of things. And, and that was one of the things we talked about because, you know, I, I really felt like I needed to reassure him that, you know, I mean, the love that I have for you is unconditional. It's not tied to, you know, we all make mistakes, you know what I'm saying? It's unconditional. And so th- that's a lot of our conversation with like, man, you know, don't, I'm not judging you. Nobody's judging. We're going to be all right. You know, we're in this together, you know, that kind of stuff. Let's, let's think about, you know, the, the Tracy and those kids. Mm-hmm. Last question, the last two years since George Floyd and all that's happened on the north side of Minneapolis, what state is North Minneapolis in right now, Larry? You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I think we're at a, a critical crossroad, Mike. I mean, you know, I, I see the the stuff that, that Tim Baylor and some of the projects that are going on, Sanctuary Covenant Church, you, you see some of what some of the organizations, Pillsbury United Communities and others, are doing in the north side, and that gives you a ray of hope. But again, the other part of it is, is I, I can tell you, you know, it's a traumatized community. I mean, since the George Floyd incident, it seems like the 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 gun violence, the gunshots, and all of those kind of things have not slowed down at all. You know, it, it's it's a constant, and 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 if you think about it, I mean, I think last year. Minneapolis came close to breaking the the record for murders, and what eighty percent of those were in North Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. This year, we're on pace to <laughs> again have conversations of whether or not we're going to become Murderapolis again. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so uh, you know, 
I mean, there there's some hope, but there's a lot of work yet to be done. I mean, you look at what's going on with us and, and, and what our kids have had to deal with at North High, the issues with the principal and, and – Oh, it, it never – it just like, it just seems like it never like, ends, Larry. It, it, it just, it, you know, it just, yeah. It's it just piling on, Mike. I and mean, so, you got you got you know, the the, and, the teacher strike, and now they're going to the summer, and then the principal's right, fired, and now they're not right. fired, you know. And and then you lose a classmate and a teammate, and, and all of that. And so it's just, Mike. It just seems like it it keeps piling on. And and, and again, it's not being distributed across the city, right? No, no. it's it's, it's, it's not, unbelievable. It is it, it, it's, it's unbelievable, right? Yeah. It's not being distributed across the city. It's North Minneapolis. Well, they need and you so, a lot over you know, there, Larry. I appreciate you very much coming on tonight, uh, but they need you a lot. So I, I hang in there. Keep the faith, my friend, and keep doing what you're doing because you do a whole lot more good than, than you'll ever know. Appreciate you, Mike. Thank you. You bet. Larry McKenzie, News Talk 830 WCCO. Twins lose today in 10 innings, 4-2. to two. It was an hour rain delay, and it was a very good baseball game. Uh, once they got it going, Harold Castro had a couple of home runs for Detroit, and then uh, uh, Candelaria uh, hit one to win it. The Twins had it was they're down four to two in the bottom of the tenth. They had the bases loaded, nobody out, and the meat of the order coming up: Carlos Correa, Max Kepler, and Gary Sanchez. Strikeout, strikeout, pop out, game over. One base hit would have tied it. One gapper would have won it. And uh, you had that feeling because your mojo has been so good that that's exactly what was going to happen. But today the baseball gods rewarded the Detroit Tigers. When we come back, we've talked a lot about what's happened since George Floyd and the unfortunate death of an area basketball coach and a good friend of Larry McKenzie. When we come back, the man that runs the fourth precinct is Charlie Adams. He uh, He's seen a lot too, and he grew up on the north side of Minneapolis. And so what are they doing from a police enforcement agency? Uh, standpoint to try to keep peace over there. What can be done? What can they do? Uh, how do you hire? Who do you hire? How do you make this a great community again? We'll ask Charlie Adams about that on the other side. Mike Max, Sports to the Max on News Talk 830 WCCO. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.